leadership, and specifically we're looking at uh, what the scriptures might define as uh, being a shepherd, an overseer, being a pastor, teacher, or an elder. Uh, in the New Testament, that terminology is used interchangeably, and it, it really carries on a theme from the Old Testament where we would see elders within the nation of Israel that were appointed to love and lead, lead and, and serve, and, and really to make decisions for the people as God was leading and moving in and through uh, those key leaders. And so we want to look at what this looks like today in the New Testament. What is my calling and what's my role? What is uh, the role and calling of the leadership of the church, those that serve in a formal way within our, our deacon board and within in that key role? But I encourage you, if you weren't here last week, really the aim for me here is to demonstrate how relevant God's Word is and how applicable it is, not only for me as an overseer, as a shepherd, as a point person within the body of Christ, which is a privileged calling, a special calling, one that I don't take lightly, but there is uh, an applicability here, and a revel uh, sort of a relevance from God's Word always for you because you're an influencer wherever you are. You may lead one person, and that may be yourself. You may get to lead yourself as you follow Jesus and get to build into others and lead others. You may get to lead an office or an OR. You may lead a school. You may lead a team. Uh, you're leading families. You're making an impact wherever you are as an influencer for the glory of God. And so what I'm going to talk about scripturally uh, pertaining to me and those that are called to that role of elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor, teacher has great relevance for you. So don't take a nap, okay? I mean, if you, hey, look, I know we're tired and we're busy. You might fall asleep. We love you. They fell asleep on Paul, okay? And so look, I'm, I'm not Paul. So if you need a nap, take one. We're glad you're here this morning. All right. But... Try to stay awake. I think it'll be worth your time. All right. So uh, we, this morning, we're going to begin in John chapter 21. And uh, so that will be kind of our starting text. Before we get there, though, as always, I want to just ask for God's help. I want His guidance in what I present here this morning. I, I want us to be stirred by the Spirit to be awakened to what God has for us today from His Word. And so we'll start in John chapter 21, but I'm going to go ahead and, and pray here this morning just as we get going into God's Word. And uh, we're going to have a great time, okay? I'm excited. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for these moments you've given us. Father, slow our hearts and our minds this morning. Father, that we'd be hypersensitive to, to your movement in us and in this place, that we would be sensitive to your spirit. Father, that your word would entice us, that it would satisfy us, that it would bring peace and it would bring guidance. God, we've come to hear from you. We've come to, to lift you high, Father. We haven't come to make a name for ourselves. Father, even uh, to make a name for our church name here on the signed out front, but we've come to make much of you and to rally around you. So guide us this morning through your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Our kids love to run. Like, they're just constantly running. Most Sunday mornings, you'll find me here in the lobby greeting you as you come in and sort of shooting eye daggers at our kids, and I'll mouth, walk, don't run. And it just, they run, and they run, and they run, and then it's contagious. My three join up with three more, and two more, and one more, and ten more, and five more, until you have this sort of tornado of kids cycling around the lobby, just taking everything in its path. You know, it's just, it's crazy. Our kids are, are a ball of energy, just constant motion from the moment they wake in the morning until that glorious moment at night 
when they close their eyes and go to sleep. Can I get an amen to sleeping kids this morning? Look, I, I love our kids, don't misunderstand, but holy cow, they're just, just go, go, go. It's interesting, though, as we progress in life, that motion continues. We continue to run, and we go, and we go, and we go, but the motion looks different. The running looks different, unless you're one of the crazy marathoners in the room, but the, the running looks different. It's different than the joyous motion of our youth. It's a running like this. It's waking up at 5 a.m., exercising, maybe eating some breakfast, getting the kids put together, going out the door, and you run to your first meeting, and then your first meeting leads to your second meeting, and then there's a Zoom call, and, and you just sort of go, and you go, and you go, and you go, until late at night, and you go to sleep, and then you do the same thing the next day. And you go, and you go, and you run, and you run, and weeks join up into months that join up into years, and before you realize that you are just sprinting at an alarming rate, never really slowing down, it seems like life is only getting faster and more busy and more loaded and full. I feel like all of us are sort of running at the speed of light, and we wear it like a badge of honor. We talk to our friends, hey man, how's it going? I'm at a pastor's conference or a pastor's prayer meeting. Hey, how are you doing? How are things in your church? Oh, good, good, just busy, crazy. We're good, but, but busy and running around. Like, I don't have hair now because it's been on fire for the last month. And, and so, like, I hope it's going to come back. But, and we just, like, we're busy, but we're good. And we just, we go and we go and we go. And the thing is, it leads to sort of discomfort, and we miss out on sort of the joy and the peace that we can have, that divine comfort of our, our Lord from all the running and all the doing and all the jumping and all the going and all the meetings. And the crazy thing is it's that busyness and distraction are like this two-headed monster that really hinder our intimacy with Christ. I'm going to speak real candidly this morning because I want to lead with authenticity and where appropriate vulnerability. I had a really big wake-up call a few months ago. I was observing Rory, my sweet little girl who is just like a, a ball of fire. And, and, and I was listening to her, her play, her make-believe time. And all of her make-believe stemmed around stuff like this. She'd run and grab a bag and say, I'm going to a meeting. I'm going to a meeting. I'll see you in the morning. I'm going to work. And at first, I'm like, that's great. I'm teaching her work ethic. My dad taught me that. And working is good. God designed us to work. We talked about this a few months ago, that our work can be worship under God. And I'm like, that's good work ethic. And then I realized, though, that her memories of me consisted of me grabbing my backpack with my Bible and my laptop and all these things and, and heading out the door. It got to the point that when I got to the front area of our house, she would whimper and say, Daddy, don't go. And I thought, is my legacy going to be one of just my back going out the front door and my brake lights leaving our street to the next meeting and the next appointment and the next thing? Daddy, don't go. The reality is life is busy. Because some of you are like, Tim, like, holy cow, I, like, I'm the breadwinner of my family. I, I work and I work and I, like, I'm providing and I travel for work at times. I've got meetings. Like, and it's true. Like, it's a reality. Like, life is busy. I just think that we need to sort of prioritize what's most important in our busy lives. We talked about last week that Jesus was busy. He was constantly with people. But he had a busyness that was, was good, and it was intentional, and it was focused. 
I'll be honest, a lot of my busy is, is good, but then there's margin that I sort of press out and elbow out, and there's not really the best things left for those moments of margin. We need to prioritize the best things, the, the, the good things in our busyness of life. There's been some research done I want to share about our busy lives. Hey, look, I know this, you're like, holy cow, I got your attention, and that was the point. There's hope. That's where we're going. Everyone's like, holy cow, like, you're speaking to me. Uh, there's a lot of hope in Christ, and we're going to get there, and I'm going to tie this together with what in the world this has to do with leadership. You're going to get this. But let me just share this. There was a study that really demonstrates and, and, and shows really how that busyness and that hectic pace of life can hinder and sort of hinder our focus and our connectivity to Jesus. So this is a study that came out from uh, Michael Zigarelli from Charleston Southern University School of Business. He looked at 20,000 Christians. He surveyed Christians around the U.S. and put this study together. And there's a few things that he found. He says this, it may be the case that, number one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which then leads to, number two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to, number three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to, number four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting sort of secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to, number five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and then that cycle just continues. We need to learn how to walk again. John Mark Comer said it really well. He says, there's a reason why we don't call our relationship with Jesus a sprint. We call it Scripture. It's a walk. It's a progression. Your relationship with Christ and my relationship with Christ is more like a slow cooker than it is a microwave. It takes time. I always want the microwave results, like I'm ready to sprint at a minute, like I, I, I drive Kristen nuts because I sit there and I'm twitchy and I'm jittery and I can't sit still, like I, I'm, I think I'm ADD, I'm self-diagnosed, Kristen says I know enough to be dangerous, you probably have ADD, it, never diagnosed, but I have a hard time just sitting, I want to move, I want to be productive, but the reality is we want these instant results, but the results that ultimately God cultivates in us comes in time. The best things take time. It's not overnight. I wish it was. Believe me, I wish it would be like this, but it's often that slow cooker results simmering in Christ, meditating on Christ, hanging with Christ, making room for Christ, giving Christ the prime seat at the table of your life. Many of us have to-do lists. I've got this one here, and, and I lost a lot of my friends in the room. Like, what is that? This is paper. Okay, this is a legal pad. I got a pen up here probably somewhere. But we have these sort of to-do lists in life. We prioritize things in life. And ultimately, if we want to track with Jesus, we have Jesus at the top of the list. He's our focal point. But somewhere along the way in the migration of sprinting and the hectic pace of life, all of these other things sort of rise to the surface, sort of the cream rising, and somehow the great treasure sort of drifts down, and he becomes sort of marginalized, becomes sort of a not the priority. And the idea is we set out, we want our lives to orbit around Jesus in all manners, everything. We want him to permeate everything. But somehow he's the one that sort of gets nudged to the side. Hey, I'm preaching now. 
But I always preach a message that I need to hear first. Pastors are not immune to this. In fact, there's probably a greater danger for a pastor like me to open my Bible only when it's time to prep a lesson, message, series, talk, and sort of look at this as a textbook. I went to seminary, and one of my profs there said, Tim, one of the dangers of coming to seminary, and seminary is a great thing. I'm an advocate for it. If you feel God calling you to ministry, it's a great way of growing and getting into the rigor of the faith. It's a beautiful thing. But he said, if you're not careful, your study will just become sort of this laborious exercise in the Word of God rather than coming alive in your heart and your thinking and shaping your path will just become some dry textbook rather than this living God of living Word of God, the inerrant Word of God, this, this library of 66 books pinned as those were moved to the Holy Spirit. Rather than seeing that and connecting with God, this can just be some book you have on your desk somewhere. There's a danger in the busyness. It's our desire to have Christ as the focal point, that everything in our lives would be hinging upon Him, orbiting around Him, everything. Life gets hectic and busy. I want to read a quote from John Ortberg. John Ortberg says this. John talks about this tension and the challenge that we face now in 2020. He says, for many of us, Uh, The great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and so rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. We've got to learn how to walk again and slow down. So what does this have to do with leadership? What does it have to do with being an overseer, a point person that God bestows the blessing of leading his local body of believers? What does that have to do with any of that? What does this have to do with you leading your accounting firm? It has a lot to do with all of that. So you're an influencer, and I'm an influencer. We're different arenas of life, but we're all used of God to make an impact. And the reality is by the grace of God and the Spirit of God, we will influence those around us out of spiritual vitality and health. Some of you are like, Tim, this is great. Okay, like just give us the facts. What does an elder look like? And then some of you are like, I know what an elder is supposed to look like. I know the text of Scripture and Titus and Timothy. I see what Peter talks about. I know what took place in Acts where there was a distinction between elders. and I know all of that. Just help us apply it. Just tell us what we know already. We'll get there. We'll even talk about it a little bit today and in the weeks to come. But the reality is if I'm not leading from a place of spiritual well-being, if you're not leading and serving from a place of spiritual well-being, there'll be collateral damage. Because the most important thing about you is your connection to the King. And I know this comes up so often in my preaching but it's your relationship with Jesus. It's, it's everything. Tim, that sounds really like, okay, that's all pile. It's everything. Yeah, but Tim, you know, I'm struggling. How's your prayer? And Tim, I'm having a hard time with my job. Like, how's your connection with Jesus? Are you spending time with the master? Tim, I'm overrun with just anger and bitterness right now. Are you tracking with Jesus? Are you walking with the master? It's everything. And the closer you are to the master, 
the greater your influence and impact will be around you, and it'll be an impact of health and of truth and of grace and of compassion and of love. It's everything. I'm going to get there. We're going to get the facts. We're going to touch on that. It's so important because the Lord lays out, okay, an overseer should look like this. These characteristics should be present in my life, and we'll touch on it even today, like I said. But it all starts with our spiritual house. So the question I want us to wrestle with now, not just for me, but personalize this, am I spiritually healthy? Am I emotionally healthy? Look, I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm not going in sort of a deep dive into psychology. I've got training at the master's level in counseling, so I, I say that lightly, and so we're not, we can't cover everything here. I'm not talking about, anyway, so we want to be spiritually well. Am I spiritually healthy? The fact is some of us come in this morning, and I'm looking at you, and you look okay, and I look okay, but internally a lot of us are struggling. Are we sort of spiritually vibrant inside? Is our soul sort of pulsing with the pulse of Christ? Or are we sort of this arid wasteland, a desert? Being candid, those days will come. You need to hear from your pastor, because here's the deal. A lot of, you come to church, I trust in Jesus, and then it's just this great run, this walk with Jesus, and hey, I got the mask on. Like, the reality is you're going to go through seasons where you just feel disconnected from the Lord. You're going to go through seasons where you feel dry, where the Word doesn't leap off the page, where you know God is good, but you feel a million miles away from Him. We've got to be real. There's seasons where I'm doing backflips in Jesus, and there's seasons of depression and discouragement and heartache. How are we doing this morning spiritually? Are we alive and well in the King? I want to give us some hope. We want leaders, by the grace of God, that are honest, authentic, they're in the trenches, they're walking with the King, and they're drawing near to the Lord. They're tracking with Him, and hopefully will lead and serve by the best of our ability, by the grace of Christ, from a place of spiritual well-being and health, like a, a thriving relationship with Jesus. That's where I'm going today. Let's, let's launch in. Let's look to God's Word this morning, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and we, we see some phenomenal things. So this is the deal. Jesus came back from the dead. The men went out to fish overnight, and they didn't catch a thing. That's my fishing life. Like every time, hey, let's, Tim, you want to go fishing? Sure catch nothing. So maybe it's probably me, but maybe I need to get around some guys and women that know what they're doing. But so they're out, they're fishing all night, they catch a big goose egg. They're out there working hard, and these are pros. They know what it's like. They know how to fish. Well, some time goes on. It's now coming to morning, and there's someone there on the shore that says, hey, children, do you have any fish? And they're like, no, we got skunk. We got nada, zero goose egg. We're, we're doing a bad job. He said to them here in verse 6 of 21, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Here's Jesus appearing to his guys for the third time. 
building their faith, bolstering their faith, because it's going to be in and through these individuals that the kingdom of God and the body of Christ will expand. So he's building into them, hey, I am the risen Messiah, I am the master, I am the savior, oh, and hey, by the way, I'm the, I'm the sovereign one demonstrating my sovereignty and authority over creation as creator, because now they've got like an issue. They had no fish, now they've got a ton of fish. And John here, in verse 7 says, it is the Lord. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea, just swimming 200 cubits off the shore. It's about 100 yards. He jumps in the water. He can't get to Jesus quick enough. They go and they have breakfast with Jesus, and they hang out with him. And they're just enforcing, they're building and encouraging them, building them up. And we get to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter, am I your passion? Am I your first love? Now, this is the same Peter that denied Christ three times. Hey, aren't you one of those disciples of Jesus? No, oh, no, 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 no. Hey, didn't we see you with, with that guy from Nazareth? No, that, not, no, that was not me. But I, 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 you believe, you follow, no, 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 no. He denounced the king. Jesus in his grace begins to restore him here, Peter, that is. Do you love me? He said here in verse 15, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him in verse 17, the third time, Simon, son of John, do you have love for me? Peter was now grieved. He was just sort of sorrowful. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. Lord, you're omniscient. You know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Your ability to lead and serve and make an impact for the glory of God stems on this big question. Do you love Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Has he wrecked your life in a good way? Has he stepped in and, and began to sort of whittle away the pride? Has he started to whittle away just the other things that we cling to, the other things we worship? Like, do you love Jesus? He didn't start with, Peter, do you know the law? Have you memorized the Pentateuch? He gets down to the key aspect of the great commandment, and that's to love God. It starts there. That is the fuel for your tank. That's the fuel for your family. That's the fuel for me in leadership and serving and leading my family well. That's the fuel for me to lead this ministry here, hopefully with grace and compassion. It all starts with the love of Jesus. Do we love him? Do we love him? Do we love him? Now, here's the thing. We can't brag and say, I do love Jesus. 
I mean, we can rejoice in the fact that we may have love for Christ, but remember what we learn in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he what? First loved us. This king has stepped in, and he has softened my heart. He's warmed my heart. He's taken my heart of stone, and he's given me a a heart of flesh that is in link and in sync with him. And, And I love him now only because he first loved me. And I can be a conduit of love back to the king and to others, and you can do the same because he first loved us. Do you, do you know him? Is there life in you through Christ? And if you do know him, how are we cultivating that love relationship with Jesus? It's something that needs to be cultivated. I think there's been a phenomenon in the church in the West where we're just like, yes, I placed my faith in Jesus. I love Jesus. And then we sort of want to grow along the way, and then we'll see Jesus in the future. But the fact is, we have the privilege and blessing of walking with Jesus now and growing in that love relationship, that bond. It's so significant. So how are we cultivating that? Here's the deal. I married Kristen back in 2007. You thought I was going to forget Almost 13 years, July 7th, 20, uh, yeah, July 07, 21, 07. Is she here? Holy cow. I'm nervous. I always have butterflies when I preach. Anyway, so 7, 21, 07, coming up in 13 years. And in that moment, we entered into a covenant. We were pledging love and commitment to one another. We said we loved each other, but we were also pledging that we would love each other into the future. Like, I would be in hot water if I told Kristen back then, 72107, that I love you, but then these next 13 years, I didn't cultivate that relationship. I didn't build into her. I didn't serve her. I didn't uh, sort of demonstrate that I loved her with my actions. You would question my love for Kristen. About, oh, yeah, I love her, but yeah, but I see Tim doing this, and he's not there. He's disconnected. You see, we love Christ because he first loved us, and now we have this journey. We get to walk with him, and he has his way in us, and he softens us, and he teaches us, and he draws us into a love that's being fanned into flame. And it becomes evident little by little as we walk with him, as the Spirit moves in us. We don't just say we love Jesus. We do. We worship him. But it comes out through other areas of our lives. We need to cultivate this relationship. We've got to invest in it. We have to make room for Jesus. He's got to be at the head of our table, which is our lives. He's got to be there. I had another wake-up call around the time I was observing Rory saying, hey, I'm going to another meeting. I'm going to this thing. I'm doing that. I had just sort of this wake-up call, and Kristen helped me with this. Uh, This is not something I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, but the reality was for two years straight, I worked seven days a week. You may not see it. I'm here. I've got office hours, but just a meeting and, and going and meeting and pr- and just, and Kristen was like, Timothy. Now, here's the deal. Kristen usually calls me honey, baby, sweetie, like all those nasty, gross, like uh, cutesy words. She called me by my name, like my given name, and I knew like we had the whole, yeah, we need to talk. Tim, you, you are doing a great job in some ways, but you're just running and I, I need Christ first, but I need you, and I need you to be well. And the kids need you to be well. And this great church family that we get to love on and serve and lead, they, they need you to be well. Like, you need to slow down. You got to rest. So the last few months we've been reprioritizing. We're busy, but it's a good busy 
We're learning how to say no. From Sunday evening, starting tonight into Tuesday, about 6 a.m., I, I go into a Sabbath rest. See, pastors, we're like, oh, no, they need it. We got to go. We got to run. We got to go. And the reality is, not only are we called to rest, and it's not like this thing to feel bad about. Like, we're commanded to rest and have margin and to recharge. I'm not loving you well if I'm running ragged seven days a week for years on end. That's not to love you well. And it's going to hinder my walk with the Lord. It's going to hinder my, my walk and connection with Kristen and the kids. And so Kristen said, enough. <laughs> we need to re-embrace Sabbath. We used to do it. And somehow we would sort of let things bleed in and then things just, because look, ministry is fluid. I don't sort of punch the clock. I got the pastor hat on now and then I punch out. Ministry in life with Christ and the body is very fluid, but there has to be protected windows where you're just reveling in the goodness of God, reveling in His truth, just totally focused on Him, hanging out with your loved ones. And so what you'll find us just reading and disconnecting and not getting on social media, which is difficult these days, just pushing all that aside, making room just to be present with the King, present with one another, eating good food hanging out with good family and friends, and just resting, not aimlessly, but a rest that hinges on Jesus. We're mindful of the Lord. We don't take a vacation from the King. If anything, we push things away that are sort of a distraction at times so we can be more present with our Master. How are you cultivating that love relationship with the Lord? Because the reality is hurry is the enemy of your proximity and your closeness with Jesus. And then at the end here, verse 19, Jesus tells Peter and the guys, he says, follow me. Hey, don't just say you love me. Demonstrate it by walking with me. Follow me. See, good leadership, good parenting, good skills in the workplace are going to come through your love relationship with Jesus, the best thing you can do for your family, the best thing you can do for your business, your neighbors, and then it's demonstrated over this walk of following me. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, come to know my voice through the word, respond to my teaching, know it, hunger for it, live it, apply it, but there's more than that. If you think about following sort of in the context of apprenticeship, Dallas Willard, who'd passed away some years ago, would say that we want to be apprentices in the, an apprenticeship with Jesus. We want to sit under a master car carpenter. We want to sit under a master musician and learn. And what happens is as you follow as an apprentice, you begin to follow, not just teaching, and you begin to live certainly in all these things, but you begin to sort of mimic the movements of the one you're looking at and following. So Jesus here is saying, Peter, and my guys, he's inviting us today, follow me certainly, and begin to mimic my movements to the world around you. We were blown out of the water a few years ago when my dad passed away suddenly. He was approaching retirement, coming up to 65. My parents had just moved out west, bought a place, had this property. They were kind of doing this life together, and my dad had a sort of new ministry platform out there, and he gets sick and gone. And my mom's like, hi, oh, why? You know, it just sort of takes the wind out of you. And they had, looking at what ministry would look like at that point. A few weeks ago, I got to go out to Colorado. I got to spend uh, time with, with my mom and uh, my brothers and, and a good friend. And we, we skied and we hung out with my mom. And it was a little, it was a bit interesting because my oldest brother, Chris, 
sounds like my dad. And he even kind of looks like my dad. He has sort of the frame and the silhouette of my dad. And the kicker is he walks like my dad. So I talked to my mom on the side, and she had a tear in her eye. I said, what, what's up, mom? It's like, I miss your dad, and I love your brother Chris, but holy cow, he walks like dad, and he talks like dad. Have you noticed how little ones walk like their mamas and their daddies and talk like them? You know those people, those families you call, and, and, and the kid picks up the phone, and you think you're talking to the, to the dad or the mom of the house. Jesus has come and mimic my movements to the world. And the more you follow the king and grow in this love relationship, the more you're going to walk and sound and think like Christ the king. Perfectly? No. Are you kidding me? Half the time we're train wrecks. But his grace holds us and preserves us and refines us and grows us. But the more you nestle up to the master... The more you look, sound, think, move like him. Know his word, but don't let the word become an idol. Let the word be a bridge to knowing him, the logos, the living word, our master and savior. Don't just stop at, hey, I read my Bible today. Remember that when you're reading your Bible following him, you're spending time with the God of the universe. This is a way to know his will and his love, to know him, that we might follow him more closely and rest in his grace, rest in his perfection and what he's done to make us who we are now. He's moved you from death. He's rescued many of us from the cesspool of life to be right with him. Did you love me? I know you love me, Peter. Now let's walk together and you mimic me to those you serve and lead. I want to look at First Peter now. Good attention this morning. Thank you. I'm weaving here. I'm tying it together. I want to go to First Peter chapter 5. In First Peter chapter 5, we see Peter, the one that denounced Christ, restored now, leading us to the very word of God this morning in 2020. An encouragement to me and to us, may we be quick to restore and forgive and to love and to come around people. Like if it wasn't for the people that saw what God was doing in my life, I don't know if I'd be here today. People came in and extended forgiveness and grace and built into me and helped restore me as I was coming out of the world and really tracking with Jesus. Many of you are here today because God restored you and, and, and brought you into this redemptive life. Life is messy. The mission is messy. It's going to be quirky. But here's Peter. He denied Jesus. And we kind of just go, that, that is a, a, a serious offense. I don't know him. He's not the one. No, 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 no. Jesus steps in with his redemption, his grace, his love, and then says, Peter, lead my flock forward, expand the ministry, preach the gospel, establish leaders, and then he has the privilege of not only walking with Jesus, Jesus uses him, God, through the Holy Spirit, pins and captures this from a ragtag, broken down sinner like me and you so that God may get the glory. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, 
He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter here in humility reminds the elders and leaders, the overseers he's talking to, hey, I'm a fellow elder as well. And and just sort of tenderly like, oh, hey, but by the way, uh, I saw the passion of Christ. I saw his suffering. Oh, and by the way, I also saw his glory, the brilliant Shekinah glory of God revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw that, the glory that will be revealed in the future. He says, so I, I, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He was there seeing the brilliance of God as God the Son, fully God, fully man, peeled back his flesh. I don't know what it looked like or how it transpired, but boom, he was there. Verse 2, he's a shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. It's not like the false shepherds we looked at last week, but at the good shepherd who is there chasing down those that had strayed, chasing those down that were hurt, bringing them in, rallying them together, coming together, not to to Peter or to me as elder, but I'm just the under shepherd that's trying to rally the sheep together so that we might all sit at the feet of Christ. You know how cults start? Cults start by taking truth and distorting them, and a person of charisma or importance or influence will sort of draw people in and say, hey, but you're coming to sit at my feet fully. Like, I'm the show. Look, if you're coming for me, the show, look, I got this goofy floral shirt on. There's a lot of other better shows in town. You can find all kinds of stuff online. I'm inviting you to to rally and follow me as I follow Christ. We're huddling up around Jesus and who he is. That's the ticket. That's the program. Peter was a privileged under-shepherd of Christ, and and that's my calling. I'm I'm a mini-Jesus, but a really messy, flawed one, all right? And I'm growing in His grace. I'm learning. But I'm following Christ to say, I'm following Christ. Follow me, and, and let's dig in together. Let's hunger for Jesus. Let's hunger for the mission. Let's hunger for discipleship. Let's hunger for the life that Christ gives us. Let's get after that. But don't look to me. Like, I hope that you come and say, man, Tim, I'm, I'm encouraged because I'm learning about Jesus. And I'm seeing what it is to follow Jesus. And the love that I have for Jesus is growing. Praise God. But let's track with Jesus. He says this in verse, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. God gives me the authority to lead and to make decisions and to correct and to help us stay together. But the thing is, I'm mimicking the movements of Jesus. Jesus has the authority. And how did he use his authority when he was here on earth? The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. The authority I've been given is one of sacrifice, of serving, of building up, of teaching, of preaching, of pointing us to Jesus, and to put your needs before my own, and to seek the glory of God and the well-being for the greater good. My authority is to be used of a servant, not as sort of a battering ram, a battle axe, a baseball, but whatever, whatever description you want. Tender, firm, consistent, modeling the way of Jesus, but not being oppressive. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, meaning I shouldn't be voluntold into this role. Do you know what that is, voluntold? Hey, Tim, we need someone to work with the the kids in the nursery. 
you're it. Boom. And you kind of kick that person in the role. And they put on the nursery hat, and they're like, uh, dude, I don't like kids. They've got germs. They're sticky, smelly. They're loud. They move. Like, I don't like kids. I mean, that's what it is to voluntel, like kind of voluntold or voluntell somebody to do something. Peter's saying, your calling as shepherd, overseer, shouldn't be under someone twisting your arm and forcing you into it. There should be a passion and a desire to shepherd and love the people and to lead the people into the fight. And I mean that in a sense of loving way, into the mission, into the community. There should be this calling of God upon my life in our lives that serve in this capacity to be there and to desire to be there. It is an amazing joy and privilege to serve in the capacity God's called me to. Let's trace this for a minute. The God of the universe rescues us, calls us into his family, but he doesn't put you in the pew or on the bench and just, hey, just chill there for a while. I'm empowering you with gifts. I'm empowering you with my presence through the Spirit to lead and to serve and to make an impact wherever I send you. And we're not disconnected from what's happened the canon of scriptures closed, and yet there is this connectivity to Moses and David. There's a connectivity to Lydia and Esther, to Ruth. There is a connection to the movement of God, to the people of God that started centuries ago. We're connected to Peter and Paul. I'm not comparing myself. I'm just saying it's the same spirit that empowered them is empowering you. The same king that was dead and rose lives in you. The same God that empowers and gives life and gives gifting, gives you today. And then he says, you get to be part of that narrative that I started so many years ago. To further the good news. To shepherd the sheep. If your heart doesn't beat over that and you're in service, it's time to step down and just refresh and have sabbatical. The day I step in the pulpit and my heart's not beating a mile an hour, a million miles an hour, and I don't have goosebumps, and there's sort of, it's time for me to step aside. There is a joy in knowing the Lord, and there is this just passion to follow Him, and our calling goes beyond the 90 minutes that we're together on a Sunday morning. It goes into Wednesday night. It goes into Saturday evening. It's a life together in Christ, mimicking the movements of Jesus, modeling the ways of a loving king, saying we're going to follow him together. If that doesn't excite you, check your pulse. We're connected to the God of the universe and the body of Christ global. We're part of the ripple effect of the gospel that came from Paul and Peter and Titus and Timothy and Barnabas, and it's ripped up on our shores here in 2020. We get to be part of that body. I say that with trembling because we're part of that God in that kingdom. He says this, I'll, we'll, we'll wrap here. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We're not pushing you from behind. We're not kicking you from behind. We're out front with you, leading forward, inviting you forward as God moves. Tenderness, consistency. He says, be example to the flock. 
It's so important that we lead from a place of spiritual well-being and connection with Jesus. Catch this. Write this down. He says, be an example. Again, mimic the movements of Jesus. Be an example. Why? Here's the deal. You reproduce who you are in the lives of those around you. You reproduce who you are in the lives of those around you for the good and for the bad. On my bad days, when I snap or I'm edgy with Kristen and the kids, there's no wonder that the little guys are not a little edgy. We're filled with sort of anger and this bitterness. It sort of spills out on those around us. If we lead with the, the way of Christ, the tenderness, the love of Christ, that multiplies and it impacts those around us. We want to be connected with the King, in love with Him, following, leaning on Him, teaching and tending those around us, the ways of the Master, you will reproduce who you are and those around you. So much hope, so much hope, so much opportunity, the hope of a new day in the Lord. Because I know some of us are just like, I'm tired, I'm busy. We need to learn to slow down. The best leaders learn how to slow down. I'm not saying I'm the best leader. I'm learning, I'm growing, but we need to be able to slow down carving out moments for the king. So learn how to say no. Learn how to say yes to the right thing. Protect moments of time during your week where you can slow down and just be in moments of rest and connection with the Lord and with others. Be refreshed. There's hope. There's hope for healing. There's hope for a new day. There's hope for the rivers of living water to sort of pump and flow in you again when the desert wasteland seems to be overrunning you. It all starts with Jesus. It all starts with Him as we draw near to Him. I close with this tonight. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, a passage I've come back to time and time again in my walk with the Lord. This is an offering to you today, right now, that extension from Jesus in John 21 to follow me, that's an offering to you today as well. You can follow him and turn to him by faith. Grow in his love for you and your love for him. Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Say rest with me. Rest. We need it. Christ provides it through our connection with him. In a world that seems void of rest, there's rest and there's peace in our connection, our relationship. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is at light. In the day of our going and our busyness, our hectic schedules, all kinds of things sort of pressing in, the Lord provides rest and a leadership that is tender and doesn't weigh us down, but really sets us free. So together, let's journey together with Jesus and learn the rhythm of walking with Him, slowing down, entering into His slow cooker of grace and love and truth grow over time to new levels of loving Him and knowing Him 
and leading well for him. Your impact will be felt based on the proximity of your connection to him and your love for him. By the Spirit of God and the grace of God, may we lead and serve and love out of a spiritual vitality that can only come through this awesome King that gives us rest. Let's pray this morning.